near you. I encourage you to take one and follow along. Uh, we are going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1. That's not too hard to get to, so if nobody has an excuse. Just open the front of your Bible and you got it. Uh, I've entitled the sermon this morning, and it'll be uh, part one of uh, at least two parts, uh, A Busy Week. Now, I know God is not busy in the same way we are busy. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible's very clear that in one week's time, God created everything that was created. He did this in a very specific time frame for a very specific purpose. And that purpose is for us. In fact, as, as we go along, you will begin to understand that the whole process of creation, why God created the earth, is that he created it to be the abode of mankind. He has a desire from all eternity to fellowship with us. And to fellowship with us, he had to create us and he had to create a, an environment wherein we could survive and thrive. We have looked in the past at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which simply says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You can do this if you'd like, but I'm going to read a passage from Job chapter 26. You'll be familiar with a few of the verses. But it's a poetic form of what we're going to talk about today. And it will set a stage in some very specific ways for what we're going to look at today. In Job chapter 26, verse 7, it says this, He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, and the cloud does not burst under them. He obscures the faith face of the full moon and spreads his cloud over it. He has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. He quieted the sea with his power, and by his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his breath the heavens are cleared. His hand has pierced the fleeting serpent. Behold, these are the fringes of his ways. How faint a word we hear of him. But his mighty thunder, who can understand? When you look at that, did you notice what I said and read from verse 14? Behold, these are the fringes of his ways. I don't know about you, but when I look at the creation account, and when I think about creation, something from nothing, the process of taking raw material and shaping it and forming it into Land and sea and sky and people and animals. Uh, it's amazing. And you go, how much greater a thing could God do? But notice what it says. It says, behold, these are the fringes of his ways. A fringe is not the blanket itself. It's the little decoration around it. Think about this. And I'll come back to this at the end of the sermon. Is creation important? You better believe it. Without creation, you're not here. The Bible doesn't mean a whole lot. You don't exist. Salvation isn't necessary. A whole lot of things. But think about this. God doesn't say, oh, by the way, in creation, I showed how great I was, and then I just quit, and everything else is kind of 
so-so after that. It says exactly the opposite. It says creation was like something, God just did it. He says it's just the fringes of who God is. He himself, I believe that for all eternity, that we will be learning about who God is and what he is like, and you'll never fully understand. Why? He is God and we are not. He is creator and we are created. Okay? But the things that we know, even about creation, are just the fringes. And then think of the other things that we know. The things that we celebrate every Sunday morning and every time we worship God. His redemption. Life from death. Resurrection. All of those things. These are not things that are too hard for God. They don't tax God. Now we're going to see that God created everything in six literal 24-hour days and then He rested on the seventh day. But His rest on the seventh day is not like you and I. Sometimes... We rest before the job is finished. Sometimes just because we're lazy and sometimes we're just wore out. We rest. He didn't rest because he was wore out. He rested because the job was finished. Big difference in why God rests and why we do. By the way, I like to rest for two reasons. The job is finished and I'm tired. It feels good to rest, doesn't it? It feels good to have the job done. feels good to rest. But God didn't have to rest because he was wore out from creating. Actually, creation, it's just the fringes of his way. And notice what else it said. You've you've heard some of these before. He hangs the world on nothing. Now, maybe I got this weird imagination. But at Christmas time, my wife puts up a Christmas tree. And she has these decorations that, I don't know, they got a little motor in them or something. I don't know, you plug them in. I don't pay much attention. looks nice, but I don't pay much attention to it. But I know it goes around in a circle, and it's got this little tiny, looks like a piece of fishing line that holds it up. You know what? In my thinking, I can't imagine something that just kind of stays there and doesn't fall out of the sky. It's got to have something that is holding it up. Even Job knew that God put the world on nothing. It wasn't hanging by a thread or a rope or anything else. It was on nothing. Job said that. He said, he wraps the waters in his clouds and the cloud doesn't burst. I can't imagine this. I can't imagine the world just hanging in the middle of space. And then he says, oh, by the way, the clouds. Now we know they're full of water and yet they stay up there. Now I'll tell you what. I've spilled a lot of water in my day, and I've squirted hoses, and every time I've done it, it comes back down. The clouds stay up there. How do they stay up there and not come down? I'm sure there's some explanation somewhere along the line, but I'll tell you what, I don't know what it is. God says, these are the fringes of the things I do. Creation is something that's great, but it still doesn't fully explain to us who God is. God is greater than his creation. We always have to remember that. See, a lot of times we see people by what they do. The truth of the matter is, I hope you see people as more than what they simply do. Right? We see them as a person above and beyond what they can do for us or for someone else. Or what they can accomplish. I watched a little bit of the Olympics and I have to tell you... I have never been that strong, that limber, or that brave to do 
you, you got your nose this far from ice and you're going 75 to 85 miles per hour down a chute that, I mean, don't expect me to do that and go around and you got a 5G's gravity, uh, 5G's pulling your nose down to the ice. Don't expect me to do that. You know, some amazing things. But you know what? There's still people. They're even more than just a great acad- uh, uh, athletic uh, endeavor that they can pull off. You know, God is greater than anything we can even imagine. He's so much greater. And just one part of who he is, just one part, the fringes of his ways is his creation. With that as a background, let's look, starting at verse 2 in Genesis chapter 1. It says there, the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. God began His process. The whole thing that we see here is this, that God began a process. How do I know it's a process? How do I know that this isn't talking as some purport, that this is the result of judgment and destruction? First of all, the principle is there. God created the world in a progression, a process. Think about it this way. Even mankind, who were created on the sixth day, he did it by a process. And he took some of that dust of the earth that he had already created a few days before that. He took that and molded it and shaped it and then breathed the breath of life into the nostril of this Man that he had made. And man became a living soul. Something happened that didn't happen to any other of the creation. God breathed life into them. They were created in the image and likeness of God. That's not said of any other creation. But think about this. It was a process. Now I know that everything that's ever been created, the God who says, these things are just like a fringe to me of who I am. He could have went like that and said it, spoke it in, and everything would have been instantly there. He could have done that, but he chose not to do it that way. That's his prerogative. By the way, if you're wondering, do I understand everything that I'm going to tell you this morning? The answer is, I do not. Because we're talking about supernatural things. We're not talking about things you can go back and observe. We cannot experiment with the beginnings of these things. You just can't do it. It's not possible. Nobody can. By the way, nobody else was there to see it. God alone, self-existing, was the only one. And the only way we know how he did it, the process that he used, is because he told those that wrote it down. Told Moses. Moses wrote it down. We have it in our Bible. Other than that, nobody was there to tell us how it happened. But he told us. He alone is solitary. He alone is the self-existing one. He alone spoke it into existence out of who he is. But it says here that the earth was formless. A lot of people say, well, that was the destruction. The Bible's very clear, and you can look at it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, if you choose. Uh, that's the Ten Commandments. It says, in six days God made the heavens, the earth, and all that they contain, the sea and all that they contain. 
Everything that was created was created in six days. So if something happened before the first day, uh, God got something wrong later on. We got, we got a contradiction in Scripture. No, it just simply says that this is a part of the process. God, as a potter, takes a lump of clay, and that's the word formed uh, that we're going to look at here in a few moments. He took it and molded it and shaped it into what he chose it to be, what he designed it to be. But he cr- first created the raw material and began the process. It's simply describing the original condition of the world that he created. And uh, as he goes on, he says it was void. It simply means it was empty. He hadn't created anything else. There wasn't anything else there. We know as we look at the rest of the chapter and the rest of scripture, he had a plan. Many people would go to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. And I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, and follow along. This verse is used many times to say, well, this had to be uh, something that uh, was a judgment. Um, God had destroyed something that he had created before, and he's starting, and this would be a recreation. I went over that in another sermon. I'm not going to go over that again. But... In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, I believe that is totally taken out of context because Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18 tells us exactly why it was this way. And I'm going to read it, and then I'll let you decide um, what it says. And we'll just look at it and see what exactly what it says. It says this, 45, Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens... He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. What is the reason the world was created and formed? It says it right there. To be inhabited. That's right. God made a choice that he's going to create us. And he created an environment wherein we can survive and thrive. And he is going to do that. That's exactly why he created it. He didn't create it without purpose. That's all Isaiah 45, 18 is saying. He had a very distinct purpose. Did he create it exactly the way it was going to be? The answer is no. He at that point hadn't created man. He hadn't even created dry land. He hadn't created the stars and the sun and the moon. He hadn't done any of those things. But he began the process with the raw materials. Obviously, it started from nothing. And if you notice, and I told you we'd come back to that word, he says, he who created the heavens, he is the God who formed the earth. That is the word that is used over and over again in the Old Testament for a potter. A potter is someone who takes clay uh, and he takes a lump of it. It looks like nothing. It's worth nothing except maybe if you want to throw it at someone to, you know, be a pain in the neck. But he takes it, puts it on the wheel, and then he begins to shape and form it into something usable, a vessel of some sort that will hold liquids or other goods. And he makes it into something, shapes it, and changes it into what is useful. What is God doing? He's taking the raw materials, the original condition, and he is now beginning to shape it. He takes and chooses to take six days to do that. The process is there. Again, he 
formed it, didn't create it, so it would stay a waste place. That was the starting point. Uh, Something was empty, it was void, it wasn't formed at that point. But he himself is the one that is the former. He is the potter. And he is going to make it into something that is to be inhabited. The reason for the earth is for mankind. We weren't created for the earth. The earth was created for us, according to this. We are the pinnacle of his creation. We, are, we alone are created in his image to be able to communicate and worship with him. One of the things that happens, if that's not true, what we do on Sunday mornings is totally a worthless exercise. But he created us to be able to communicate with him, to worship him, to interact and fellowship with him. That's what he did. And he also made us a place to reside. So again, the earth was not created without purpose. It was created with a purpose. And that process is shown to us in Genesis chapter 1 of how he took the raw materials that he created and formed them and continued to shape them into a place that was usable for mankind and to be inhabited. The whole word and continuing on, it says that it was formless and void simply means empty. At that point, he hadn't created all the other things that he was going to create. It was still empty. It wasn't the finished product. And then it says, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Unfortunately, a lot of times we see dark or black and we think, oh, that's evil or bad or or destruction or any of those kinds of things. Not necessarily. Darkness is simply this, the absence of light, just like cold is the absence of heat. So if you have nothing, it's just dark. And God, we, as we know here in a, in a few moments, we'll look. It says God had to create the light. It was the first thing that he created after he created the original materials that he was going to use to create everything else. And notice that it says this darkness was over the surface of the deep and uh, the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. The deep and the waters are talking about the identical same uh, situation. The world was covered with water. You say, can you prove that? Not from this verse, you cannot. It just says he was over the surface of the deep. So there could have been ground sticking out someplace. But later on, we'll see that he said, let the dry land appear. Obviously, it hadn't appeared at that point yet, but that's later. Well, now we have a raw materials, a world that's formless and void. It's not inhabited. It is still being worked on. And it says the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. One of the things that you could ask is, well, who actually created the earth? And the heavens and everything else. Was it God the Father? Was it God the Son? Or was it God the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. The Trinity is involved. How do I know that? Here it says that the Spirit is moving. He is doing something even at the very beginning. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, it says in the beginning God, Elohim, is the one. The strong and faithful one. Basically referring to God the Father. Here it's basically referring to God the Spirit. But when you go to the New Testament, and the New Te- you shouldn't be surprised by this, the New Testament gives us a very unique perspective. 
and gives us a focus that the Old Testament doesn't give us. And so you have to go to the New Testament. I'm going to go to a number of uh, different passages. You want to write them down. You probably won't have time to turn to them. But in John chapter, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 3, it says that everything that came into being came into being because of Jesus Christ. He was before the beginning. And everything that came into being came into being because of Jesus Christ. The focus, obviously, in the New Testament is Jesus Christ. And it says here, who is the creator? It's Jesus Christ. He's the focus. Doesn't mean God the Father wasn't involved. Doesn't mean God the Spirit wasn't involved. They were, absolutely. But the Son is the one that's the focus. Now, we start with John chapter 1, verse 3. But then we could go to a place like Romans chapter 11, verse 36. And it says something different there. It expands. It says, for from him, referring to Jesus Christ, through him and to him. Now we get a different perspective. See, from, we already knew that part, but it was through him. He was the agency. He was the one actually doing the work. And then it says it's to him. It was for his purposes. He is the one that the creation is to worship and come to. Let's face it, you can't come to God the Father except through God the Son. You cannot truly worship God the Father, which we are told to do, except that you come through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You come through the Son. And so Romans points that out. From Him, through Him, and to Him. But the one I like the most is Colossians chapter 1. Because it goes a step further than those two. Starting in verse 16, it says that all things that came into being came through him. He was before everything else. Nothing was created. He created it all. And then it adds one more thing that the others don't. And all things hold together through him. You see... I tell people, if God went out of business, and I do not believe God is dead or he went out of business or any of those. Because if God went out of business, if Jesus Christ went out of business, guess what? I'm not standing up here talking. You're not sitting in the pews. The pews don't exist. This building doesn't exist. This world doesn't exist. Because guess what? It says that everything that was created is held together by him. Now, science would say, and they're correct, atoms and those kinds of things and protons and neutrons and electrons and all those things, and they have positive and negative uh, bonds, and they hold together, and there's a tension and all those. I understand all of No, sorry, I don't understand all of that. I know I've been told those things. I don't understand how it works. But it says here, above and beyond all of that, that everything that operates, it all holds together because of Jesus Christ. So if he goes out of business, everything is, it's gone. He holds it together. So he didn't only create it, but it holds together because he keeps it together. Wow. I'll tell you what. That's the God we serve. That's the Christ. That's not only our creator, but our recreator. Because if it wasn't for his death, burial, and resurrection, we don't have spiritual life. We're still in our sins. Our faith is worthless. But He has not only created us, but then made it possible for us to have new birth. 
trusting Christ, having new life. It's all the focus is on Christ. In case you haven't noticed that yet, in case you're still wandering through that, the focus of the Old Testament points toward Christ. The New Testament just brings to full exposure of who He is and what He has done. Remember, does that take away from God the Father? Nope. Does it take away from God the Spirit? No, it does not. But the focus of Scripture is Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is the one that in obedience to God the Father and by the power of the Holy Spirit has come and taken up residence among us. Taking on a human body so He could identify with us. Dying for us. God the Father didn't die for us. God the Spirit didn't die for us. He died for us. He's the one that makes it possible to have an intimate, living, personal relationship with God. Otherwise, sin has separated us. So, the Son is the one who's the focus. But moving on, verse 3 says this, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. There are those that would disagree with what I'm going to say next because they would say, well, the sun and the moon and the stars had to have already been created at this point because, well, you you can't have light and darkness and all that without that. In the world that we live in, that is true. That is true because that's what we see around us. Nobody would disagree with that, whether you believe what the Bible says or you just kind of look outside and say, hey, the sun is pretty important, and it is. Over, over the years of mankind's existence, how many cultures, how many religions have worshipped the sun as the ultimate God? Many of them. Let's face it. Remember those days when it was really cold here a few weeks ago? Not that it's not cold now, but you know what? When the sun went down, man, it's just bone-chilling cold. But in the daytime when the sun would come out bright, Oh, the temperature didn't go up all that much, but it felt so much better. Why? No wonder people worship the sun. Because the sun is a pretty dominant feature in this universe, especially for us here on earth. Nothing else has more power, more warmth, more invasiveness than the sun. When the sun comes up, everything else kind of has to move aside. But you know what? didn't have to be that way. In fact, is I can show you, and you already know what probably I'm going to say. The first book says there was light and darkness day and night without the sun, the moon, and the stars. And guess what? In the end, in the new Jerusalem, and now I'm going to the last book of the Bible, it says the same thing is possible. So it shouldn't surprise us that it's possible to have light and darkness without the sun and the moon and the stars. Fact is, in Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse 23, and the city, referring to the new Jerusalem, has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's Jesus Christ Himself. So in that case, it just says, it's the glory of God that illumined it. I don't know. Is, is Genesis talking about the glory of God? I don't know if that's true or not. It simply says, God said, that, let there be light, and there was light. Again, I don't know all the answers. I just know what the Bible says, and I, I believe exactly what it says. By the way, even if I don't believe it, it's still true. 
Verse 24 of Revelation 21, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, so it's a little different even than Genesis, its gates will never be closed. It's always daytime in the New Jerusalem, in the future. There is no light, there is no night. Revelation chapter 22 verse 3 says, there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of a lamp, uh, the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, I'm going to tell you that's an exact match there. I'm just saying, you can have light without the sun. Because that's a man's point of view. Not, not a horrible point of view. It's what we see today, that we get the light from the sun. Even the moon doesn't have its own light. It's just the reflection of the sun. Stars have their own, but sun is obviously predominant because it's the closest to us. So it shouldn't surprise us that uh, God, in his infinite wisdom, gave us light. Saying, if, if my opinion, and this is opinion, is... I want to tell you that it's not all about the earthly things. It's not all about the creation. It's above and beyond the creation. It's not just the things you can see. It's more than that. Whether it's spiritual light, which comes from Jesus Christ, or physical light, which God can give us with or without the sun. That's just my only point that I'm making. And then God goes on in verse 5 to say this. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning one day. Notice the way we use day today is found in the very first verse where that concept comes up. Simply says he called the light day. No one would say, oh, Garden Chapel met Sunday evening. We will meet this evening, but talking about this service. Oh, they met Sunday nighttime. No, it's Sunday daytime. It's light out. He called the, the light day. We still do that to this day. Oh, by the way, when it was dark out, he called that night. We still do that today. And notice it starts from the evening and goes to morning. We don't think that way. In fact, most of the time we say, oh, a new day is dawning. We're referring to when the sun comes up. Jewish people didn't look at it that way. The day started when the sun went down. Now, today, truth of the matter is, we say... The day starts when? Midnight, or a tick after midnight. You know, we, we, have, we did it a little bit different. It's just the way you look at the time. It's the same 24 hours, you just look at it differently. But there's something interesting in this verse that's not true of the other verses where it refers to a second day, a third day, etc. In this case, it's written just slightly different. One different word. That's all. One small little word. And basically, it's saying day one, one day. Because for all time that we exist, this describes what a day is. It's 24 hours, a light-dark cycle. Oh, by the way, part of that is called day because it's light. That is the reference for the rest of the Bible. That's where it starts. 
And yes, again, there are other times when, for example, it says the day of the Lord or the day of God. You just look at it and it will give you a description of that uh, defined specific amount of time. And it'll give you a description of it and you know exactly what it's talking about. It's not talk- The day of the Lord is not 24 hours because when you look at how it's described, you know it's not referred to that. By the way, we do that same kind of thing. In this day and age, we're not talking about 24 hours. We're talking about this technological age that we live in or anything that you would do in the olden days. You know, we're saying there was days where something was different. We still do that to this day. And so forever, the standard of time was composed of light and dark, uh, day and night. Continuing on to the second day, and we'll, we'll just uh, start on this one because we'll have additional things to say about the second day in a, in a future sermon when, because we're going to be talking about a concept that requires a little explanation. Starting in verse 6, day 2. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. Verse 8, And God called the expanse heaven. Now, if you look at the word heaven, which most people do, and they go, oh, that's where God lives. But the Bible absolutely describes a minimum of three different heavens. I'll get, um, and that's the next sermon. We'll talk about what that means. But there's the heavens where it says the birds fly. And we'll see that here in a moment. Verse 20 is going to make that clear. The birds were flying in the midst of the expanse in the heaven. Uh, that's verse 20. But there's also the what we would call the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows handiwork. And it goes on to say, talking about the sun, you know, and the night and day. It's talking about where the planets and the sun and, and those kinds of things are. What we would call space. And then there is the abode of God. That holy place where God dwells. The place where the Apostle Paul said, He... And as far as we know, only he had the opportunity before he died to see what the, and he calls it, the third heaven. So we're not saying, well, well, there's a first and second heaven, and where did you find that? I don't see that in the Bible. If there's a third heaven, it means you have a first and a second heaven. So there are different descriptions of them. And how do you know which one's which? You look at the context. We'll talk about that in a future sermon. But today, we just want to look at the first part of this because it says there's going to be an expanse. An expanse is simply this, an extended surface. It is used in Exodus chapter 39 to talk about taking gold and beating it out into a very thin layer. We would call it gold leaf today. If you have a Bible today that in gold on the front it has your name or something like that, they call that gold leaf. It's gold that has been hammered and probably rolled in our cases really, really, really thin down so that you just can't see through it. It's expanded out. That's the word that is used here. And he's saying he has extended the surface. And what did he do? He says, he, he said, let there be an expanse, an extended place in the midst of the waters and let them separate the waters from the waters. So God, in the process 
of creation is saying, I am going to do some differentiation. I am going to uh, make some distinction and division. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, I'm going to separate the water from the waters. What are the waters? We know the earth was covered with water. And, and I don't know. The next part here, you can take it for or leave it. But somehow or the other, above the surface water was some other water. Was it a fog? Was it... I, I just don't know. I just don't know. I, I can picture in my mind that it was kind of like there's this round ball with, covered with water and then covered with a big fog. I could be totally wrong. All I know is it says that he separated the waters that were above the earth from the waters that are on the earth. That's all he says. All I know, so everything else is speculation, and um, I get real skeptical of speculation, so just take it or leave it, whatever. But it says, the important thing is that he says, and he called the expanse heaven. Wow. Now I've got to tell you, that doesn't leave much room for doubt. That expanse is heaven. Is it referring to the one where the birds fly? For example, and I already told you in verse 20 of chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Obviously referring to fish and things that live in the water on the earth. And let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. So he, in that same context, uses the word in that way. But there's one other thing that, um, and some of you have heard uh, Mike Snavely talk about the hydroplate theory, which is, you know, you're not going to find hydroplate theory anywhere in the Bible. But that theory, that makes a lot of sense, it's not in the Bible, but it makes a lot of sense, actually has a basis that you may or may not know about. I didn't ask you one more time, I've got about three minutes left, turn to Psalm 136. I'll be starting in verse 5. Because there is one other expanse. Now, exactly when God did this doesn't tell us. It simply says there's another expanse. The expanse that's found in Genesis chapter 1 that we just looked at, he says he called it heaven. So it cannot be the one we're going to read here in Psalm 136. Because here's what it says. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. By the way, if you continue on, and I'm not going to do this for lack of time, you'll notice that it's referring to creation. You know, he's making the sun and the great lights, etc., and the stars and the moon and those types of things. But notice what it says here. He spread out, and uh, that is the same thing, the same word that we've been looking at, expanse, same one. He says, the earth is above the waters. So here's what you have. You have an expanse. There's water over the earth and the water above the earth. We call them clouds today. That's the best way to describe it. In between there is an expanse. That's heaven. But now he's talking about a different expanse. And he says the earth is above the waters. And so what you have is waters under the earth, then the earth, and then water on the earth, and then water above the earth. God did it all. How he did it, it doesn't tell us. It simply says that God spread out the earth above the waters. And so under what we call the crust of the earth, there's water. We all know that. If you live any place that has a well, you know there's water underground. There are some places that couldn't exist and uh, raise cattle or crops if there weren't huge 
reservoirs of water underground. A lot of other things uh, dealing with the flood and other things. As when we'll get there, we'll talk about this again uh, because it has more to do with that than this. But just looking at the word, the expanse simply means there's a hammered out place in between. There's there's a place where there's some distance, an extended surface in between. I'll tell you what. I look at this whole thing, and I'm bringing this to an end. I look at this whole thing and say, wow, God. I'm boggled. I don't even understand all of this. So if you have real hard questions, you're probably going to ask the wrong person if you ask me. I know a little more than I said here, but you know what? Truth is, this is the fringe of who God is. Just remember, it's not just simply about creation. It's about God. It's about God. He is greater than the creation. He's the creator. You're part of the creation. You'll never fully understand. But here's what God wants us to do. And this is where I want to leave you. Because this could be academic. I don't want it to be academic. I want you to say to yourself and believe this. That the God I serve, the God who sent Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ who died for me, the Holy Spirit who works and convicts in my life, He is greater than anything I could ever see. And I can have a personal relationship with Him. Not simply because He's the Creator, but because He's God. I don't know. Does that stir you? Does it... it, I'll tell you what it does to me. It just about turns my mind into mush. But I'm going to tell you, I believe what I'm telling you is right. The God we serve is so much greater, so much bigger, so much more powerful and wise and loving and gracious and merciful than anything we could see with our eyes or touch with our hands or smell or any of those things. He's so much greater than just what he does on the outside. What we're talking about is the fringes of who God is. Think about that. And you have the privilege through a faith relationship with Jesus Christ to have a personal relationship with Him. Don't blow it. Don't take it for granted. Don't let it go and just deal with this life. Have that relationship with Him. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to just stand up here and just try to see how great a God you are. Lord, you are obviously greater than anything that's recorded in Genesis because that's just the fringes of who you are. And Lord, I pray that we would see that, that we would live that way, that our relationship would be a deep one that reflects that personal, intimate relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray all of us would draw closer to Him, that we would fully, more fully appreciate who You are and not simply what You do. Lord, take our minds to a higher place. Help us to set our mind on things above, not on things below. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.